Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. If you are a return listener, we would love your rating, review, like, share, or subscribe. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is a Division I lacrosse player where he played for the U.S. Naval Academy. After going on to serve in the U.S. Marine Corps as an infantry officer and special operations officer, he led covert operations around the globe. After active duty, he received his MBA from the University of Chicago. He's participated in eight Ironman triathlons, the Canadian Death Race Ultra Marathon, as well as several others. He summited five of the seven summits around the globe, including Mount Everest. He is the founder of the program. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Eric Kapitulik. Cap, my man, I know you go by Cap. How are you this morning? Great. Living the dream, Tyler. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, excited. One reason I'm excited, I know we were just talking offline here a minute about hiking and trail running. You've conquered one of the mountains of all mountains. You're the only guest on this podcast thus far that's reached the top of the world on Mount Everest. What inspired you to do so? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I'm glad you said it both ways. I, I did reach the top. I don't know if I've ever uh, conquered any mountain, sure. um, at least not in the, the way that I think of conquering something, right? I, sure, sure. I, I've, the mountains that I've, I've been fortunate enough to reach and, and get back down safely, uh, I always just think, uh, I always just think I'm very thankful and appreciative that things worked out <laughs> that allowed me to get to the summit because in the short term, the environment really has a vote, right? Like uh, you're not getting to the summit if the environment votes against you, which yeah. I think is a, when I think about Mount Everest, the, you know, something I learned when I was there. But anyway, so what really inspired me to go there, Tyler, I, I, I really think it's, it's more really a reflection on who I am and, and have been my entire life, which is people will ask things about, why'd you go to the Naval Academy? And uh, the reason why I went to the Naval Academy was because of the challenge of it. Yeah. I, it made me a little bit nervous. Sure. I, I didn't know I could do it. It's why I chose to go to the Naval Academy. Um, you know, why'd you go in the Marine Corps? Because it made me a little bit nervous. <laughs> I didn't know if I could do it. And those things, I, even at least talking to my parents, I mean, you know, we think back, to our, to our childhood and we're all supermen and, and women as, as little kids. Right. And yeah, I, yeah. and that's just not the case with me, but, but, or at least I think back on myself that way, but speaking to my parents uh, and looking at my complete lack of athletic achievements at a young age, uh, I can see that that probably wasn't the case is that it, I've been a development, my whole project, developmental project, my whole life. But that piece of, I didn't know if I could do it makes me a little bit nervous. I want to go challenge myself to, to see if I can. That has been consistent throughout my life. 
I love all those reasons. Uh, Conquered some 14ers out here in Colorado. Again, I said the word conquered. I, I do feel when I'm done with them, the, the more realistic word is complete. Um, yes. That the legs feel that they've been conquered. Um, yeah. But I do feel, you know, one of the things I, I love about mountains is I do think they're such a great teacher. Um, it, like you mentioned the environment. Um, you know, you've gone to higher altitudes than I, but man, when you start to hit those thresholds of the body, you start to learn about yourself and where your mind's at. What's the greatest lesson maybe Mount Everest or, or the mountains have taught you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Tyler, I'm glad you made, made the point is okay. Maybe I've, I've climbed Mount Everest. Right. But what it, what it really signifies though, is whether it's Mount Everest, whether it's a 14 or whether it's the mountain behind your house or let's not even talk about actual mountains. Let's just talk about proverbial mountains that those challenges, you're going to learn things, whether you successfully complete them or not, whether you conquer them or not, you're going to learn things about you. And that's what, that's what getting outside of our comfort zone affords us the opportunity to do. And when I think about Mount Everest, I really look at it like every other challenge that either I've seeked out in my life, the Naval Academy, the Marine Corps, special operations, whatever it might be, or those challenges in our life that are thrust upon us. You also served, as you mentioned, the Marines, the Navy, special operations, um, been in battle zones. I've read the book. You talk about some of the situations. You know, I deal with a lot of athletes, you know, fear on a football field, fear on a battle zone. How do you handle fear in a battle zone? Yeah, well, I mean, I'd have to talk to my, my teammates who served in, in Afghanistan or, or Iraq itself, you know, in, in special operations, whether it was the helicopter crash that I was involved in that, that, that you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, killed six of the 10 of us on board that day or, or Mount Everest, I can speak to it. And, you know, Tyler, I think one of the big issues uh, or reasons why people do not handle, I mean, again, right, I'll go back to COVID, do, do not re react well to fear or the unknown is that most people live their lives in complete ignorant bliss. Sure. They... They're, I mean, let's talk about health, right? I mean, you're healthy until you're not. Yeah. And then it becomes real important real fast, yes, right? Yeah. Um, and for when you talk about fear specifically, I think it's the unknown. I mean, we're, we're, we're genetically and, and have evolved that... No, no, nobody likes the unknown. Nobody likes it. The people, though, who react and act best in that unknown, and there are people who do thrive, but they don't, they themselves don't, you know, do better. It's that they don't do worse. Right. Other people do much worse. They just don't do worse. But we all perform best in comfortable environments. It's just that 
so when we talk about stressful, high pressure type of things, it, it's not you do best. It's that a lot of people, some people just don't do worse. Okay. And that's been shown through, yes, you can always use the anomaly type of stories of, Hey, this guy hit this game winning shot in this moment, but you're not looking at data over the course of their entire career as an example. Sure, sure. Okay. And so how do you make sure that you don't perform worse? Prepare that way. Yeah. Prepare for those moments. Yep. Stress, and we talk about it in our book, stress inoculate. Let's talk about football, though, Tyler, right? It's a sport you're well aware of, that you know well. Coaches want, assistant coaches, they want the entire practice plan down to the minute every single day. And the problem is, yep, it'll allow you to have a good practice and you'll be very comfortable during that practice. Yeah, unfortunately, you don't get that opportunity on Saturday with your opponent. Nope. But head coaches and coaching staffs prepare that like we're going to, and then something happens that you're not expecting on Saturday, and the wheels come off the bus, Yeah. right? But now, at the same time, we're yelling at our student athletes about, uh, you know, game-changing type of plays you know sudden change right we hear god that guy doesn't handle sudden change very well no, none of us do N <laughs> none of us do it's a question of you just don't want them to perform worse because of sudden change good so in your practice build that into your practice of sudden change give people the information that you have and then just change it yeah. well it, you can do it on a football field we can do it in life how stress inoculation put yourself in those situations where it making it's make it makes you a little bit nervous. I, I thank the Marine Corps all the time and in, in, in the single greatest gift, the military that I got out of the military, and there are a hundred things that I positive things that I took away from it. The number one thing is being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Yeah. The single best thing. Yeah. And I look at how people have responded to COVID mentally, physically. And I realized because for a lot of them, it's the first time they've been uncomfortable, truly uncomfortable, scared. The Marine Corps in, in special operations certainly gave me the opportunity to be scared a whole lot. <laughs> and this just isn't that big a deal. Yeah. You so we got to do that. We got to do that. Uh, we should do it. If we want to be the best versions of ourselves, we have to go and do that because we live in a society that thankfully greatest country on earth we've had our issues but still the greatest country on earth that we can stay comfortable our entire life yeah no doubt we uh as a society love it but uh that's not where the growth is right that's right um one of the things you talk about in the book that my experience in football film rooms meeting rooms with coaches uh, a technique more could utilize in their teaching and coaching is the idea that you'd share about in a back brief um, oh yeah. Can you, can you talk quickly about what a back brief is and then why it's yeah. essential to executing anything maybe? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in, uh, so you use the, I'm talking about the military, right? You're talking about being a football coach. L let me go even before that. So let's start off with a relationship with uh, your boyfriend or girlfriend, your husband and wife, 
Uh, and then after that, for every single parent that's out there, if you're a parent of a child, like a, a teenager, anybody, it will you. This will have a positive impact on every relationship that you're on. In sure. is a back brief. Let me use it with. I'm the we're we're in the midst of uh, lacrosse season right now here in the Northeast. I played college lacrosse. I'm my son's, my nine-year-old son's uh, youth lacrosse coach. Nice. We're out on a field. And I say, all right, now look, in this drill, you're going to keep the ball. You're going to cradle it, which means run. And you, and for the lacrosse, the non-lacrosse people out there, cradling means you basically are flicking your wrist up and down as you run, which helps keep the ball in the stick, the head of the stick better and easier. So that if somebody were to hit your stick, the ball, in theory, will stay in the stick better than if you weren't cradling, okay? So the drill is we have two teams here. It's going to be a relay race. You cradle as hard as you can around the cone. When you get to the cone, you throw a good pass to the next person in line. The next person in line, before they throw you the pass, as soon as they get to the cone, you have to start calling that person's name. You have to yell their name and then yell, here's your help. Okay, that's the drill. Right here, Tyler, is where most parents, most coaches say, y'all got it. Or any questions in the history of y'all got it or any questions, nobody has ever raised their hand and been like, I don't got it. Everybody stays there and goes, uh, I'll look at the first guy, see what he does, and we'll see what happens here. Now, instead, use a back brief. Axel, that's my nine-year-old son. Axel, what do you do first? I run as fast as I can to the cone. Wait, do you just run to the cone, or what do you have to do? Oh, I got a cradle as hard as I can to the cone. Okay, uh, Mason, when he gets to the cone... What do you do? Do you run back here, Mason? Or what do you do, Mason, when you get to the cone? When I get, when Axel gets to the cone, he's going to throw it to the next person in line. Okay, John, as the next person in line, what do you do when he gets to the cone? When he gets to the cone, I have to start yelling. I got to yell that here's your help. Wait, John, wait, is that all you do is yell here's your help? Or no, I have to yell his name and then here's your, okay. In effect, Tyler, that's what a back brief is. Yeah, very great. And I love the explanation. Simplified. And youth coaches can use that tomorrow, right now. T tomorrow. Parents can do it tomorrow. Do I it. can now, use it today wife, with my wife. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I would be, uh, you know, you might have to massage it a little bit better than that because my wife yeah. has heard this so much. And my wife is like, you're back briefing me. Sure. I, I, I got it. I'm like, Look, honey, come on. I just want to make sure that we're both on the same page here as to, and that's really what we're talking about here yeah. is ensuring that everybody in the organization is on the same page as a leader. Too often we, we just believe, Hey, I said it. So everybody's got it. False. No yeah. wrong answer. Say it and then conduct a back brief and you'll see if everybody truly has it, make that standard. It's a good, as you get used to it, it's a good evaluator of how well are you communicating to your people. 
I think, you know, I feel I've put myself in situations where I've said any questions and then, you know, shoot yourself in the foot later when the questions come when, you know, we're supposed to be executing. (laughs) That's a, and that right there, Tyler is a great point. And the reason why a lot of times we, we don't want to do it or is, or we don't think about doing it is, Oh God, I got to get a lot of this. I got to get through this tape. I, I, I've got another drill to do. Oh God. I mean, Hey, I just want to tell my kid to do this and then I want to move on and do something else. Right. The, the, but then you get out onto the field and coach, I told them all this stuff. Yeah. But now you're wasting all this time going back through it again, back through it again. The more time that we can spend up front doing that back brief, it will save us an incredible amount of time during the execution phase. No doubt. Uh, one of the other things I loved about, uh, you know, have, uh, got some good pictures in the books. One of the graphic images I liked um, was, you know, I've seen different coaching pyramids, um, but this idea of the three roles of a leader, what I especially like, because I've seen different pyramids like that, but the inversion, and when it's useful. And I think I've had some situations with, with student athletes where I was like, oh my gosh, this is totally kind of what we've done because we've had, had to kind of flip that command on them a little bit. But can you talk a little bit about, about the three roles and then when and why you might need to uh, adjust the command? And the- yeah, I appreciate you asking the question because I think it's the, what the question really, another way to ask that question would be, What's the single greatest mistake we make as leaders is another way to ask it. Leaders, the program teaches. Great leaders consistently meet and exceed two standards. And I want to make this clear. Great leaders consistently meet and exceed two standards. Number one, first and foremost, they ensure their team accomplishes the mission. Number one. Now, yes, ethically, they ensure their team accomplishes the mission. But quite frankly, if you're accomplishing the mission unethically, the, the problems you have are so much deeper than as a leader. It's, 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 those problems are, are as a human being. Yeah. So, so it's, it's implied the number one standard great leaders consistently meet and exceed is accomplishing the mission. It's implied ethically. But – Number one is ensuring your team accomplishes the mission. Number two is great leaders take care of their teammates. And how do we take care of our teammates? By making every decision we ever make with the team's best interest at heart first. Okay? Those are the standards that great leaders consistently meet and exceed. Leaders, though, the best leaders assume and can cycle through being three specific roles. Number one, commander. Number two, coach. Number three, mentor. And that's not in order. But if you're at home following along now, put commander at top, coach in the middle, mentor on the bottom. Because mentorship is the foundation of every relationship. Now, make, put, draw a regular triangle and in the top third, put commander in the middle third right coach and in the bottom third, the biggest. So it'll be the biggest uh, area of the triangle because it's the base of the triangle. It would be uh, mentor. 
what we teach is in what I live in my own life is you say, but as a coach, as a business leader, let me direct these remarks to you. You say, hey, I want you on my team, whether it's an athletic team or, or a business team. Hey, I want you on my team. Okay, right then, you owe it to that person to mentor them because mentoring is, hey, I'm going to teach you what it means to be one of us. Yeah. I'm going to make you better as part of this organization. Number two, and, and most of our time should be spent doing exactly that. Yeah. Number two, we coach them. Hey, this is the X's and the O's of what we do, whether it's truly X's and O's or whether it's, hey, this is how we do things around here. Mm-hmm. Mentorship is who we are. Coaching is how we do things. And commanding is, now I'm just going to tell you what to do. In the start of a relationship, that triangle, commanding is a small piece, coaching is a fairly good-sized piece, but we spend most of our time mentoring people. The issue is, the, and the biggest mistake we make as leaders is, that triangle we keep in exactly those proportions throughout the entire life of a relationship. We forget that, number one, yes, I tell you, hey, I want you on my team. Okay, you owe it to that person to mentor them. Yeah. yeah, but after that point, that person has to earn your time in most relationships. I'm not talking about ch- your own children at home. <laughs> I'm saying whether it's your football team or whether it's your, your organization, people have to start to earn your time. But the mistake that we make as leaders is we have it real tight in our head that I'm going to invest money in somebody, in, in something. Or so, I'm going to invest money in somebody or something, and I need a return on my investment of that money. We fail to remember that, that even more important than money is our time. Mm-hmm. Because money we can make more of, time we cannot. Yeah. It's a precious resource. And we just keep investing more and more time in this individual, more and more time in this individual, more and more time in this individual, and we get no return on that investment. And by saying we get no return on that investment, I'm not saying as a leader, I'm saying your team doesn't. Yeah. Your team doesn't. But our ego says, I can make a difference in this person. I can change them. I can change them. I can change. No, you can't. As leaders, we cannot change everybody. People have to want to change. They must want to change and they're going to have to put some effort into it. What we highlight to coaches, business leaders is don't forget at some point, and this should be communicated throughout the relationship. I have the right to flip this triangle on you that look, eventually if you, if all of my mentorship is having no impact, I'm just going to start commanding you. I'm just going to start telling you what to do now because of an eight-hour workday, certain NCAA rules, whatever it might be, the amount of time I spend coaching you stays the same pretty consistently. But now, once I flip the triangle, now the amount of time that I'm going to mentor you, now it's become smaller because I've got a limited amount of time and I have to give that time to those individuals that give me the highest return on my investment. As a leader, when you get to the point where you determine, hey, even this little bit of time that I'm spending mentoring, that's having no impact. I'm done. Okay, that's when, that's the day that that person, you need to say, hey, look, you've got to go find a new team. Because now 
if by keeping that person on your team, when you, after you've reached that point, you're just hurting that individual. It's unfair to them. But not flipping the triangle is unfair to your entire organization. Yeah. And we have to remember that as leaders every single day when we think about not just how we invest our money, but how we invest our time. Love it. Great explanation. You guys have to uh, check it out in the book. It was one of my, one of my favorite chapters, especially uh, as I, I hear in my experiences, coaches, how do you deal with this kid? I'm like, you gotta, That's flip, right. Flip the command a little bit and see how that works. Well, I don't want to treat people. Everyone's different. You, are you going to sacrifice the kid or sacrifice your team? Make a choice, right? Well, Tyler, and that's, that's, the, that's the issue is I don't, I don't want to sacrifice the kid. But the kid, they have your choice. They have to do something. You get a bargain. And that's right. And that kid, when, you, when you're at the point of saying, I'm done with them, you got to tell them right away and have them to find another team. Because yeah. by keeping that person on your team after that point, now you're hurting that individual, right? Yeah. Up until that point, you're hurting your team. And the biggest thing that we have to highlight to leaders is, as a leader, it's why, it's why as a leader can be very lonely. Your first and foremost biggest loyalty is to the organization, not to any one individual on it. And when leaders make individuals on their team a greater priority, a greater loyalty to them than the organization, you hurt everybody else on your team and that organization. So it's a great point, Tyler. Love it. Loved all the, the things you've shared. One of the things we love to close with, I know you alluded to the, the word early on is, is about success, but how do you define success, Cap? <laughs> well, I, I hesitate. I'm going to take two minutes here right. because I think it's one of the most important things I've, I've learned in my life and I've had to learn it in my life. Um, Tyler, my, my wife, we have a, I, I talked, talked about him earlier. We have a nine-year-old son, Axel. We have a four-year-old daughter, Anastasia. The reason why there's such a big age gap there, Tyler, is my wife and I, we thought, all right, we're going to have Axel. And then a year later, we'll start to have our second child. A year after that, we'll start and have our third child. Excuse me. Life didn't work out that way. We got married. We had Axel immediately. Then my wife had a number of different operations, miscarriages. I mean, unbelievably challenging time in her and in our relationship. Yeah. Um, she went through four and a half years of IVF. And when I say she went through it, any couple who's been through IVF knows that the woman goes through IVF. It, the number of shots they have to take, the hormones, everything else. I mean, yes, I try to be as supportive as I can as her husband, but oh, the, the difference in, in workload is <laughs> immense, right? So she went through four and a half years of IVF, right? But anyway, on our last possible embryo, they want to reinsert three embryos back into the woman. We only have one left. And my wife gets and stays pregnant with my now four-year-old daughter, Anastasia. Wow. Well, during that time, Tyler, though, my wife and I decided, hey, we, we have, you know, we're, we're fortunate financially and, and we also love being parents. It's, it's the thing that we love the most. So we want to build our family. So let's adopt a child as well, or maybe even more than one child. 
So we go through the entire adoption process. Then she gets and stays pregnant. And because of high-risk pregnancy and breastfeeding, all this other stuff, it, it's just not working out for us, okay? And now we have, a, we have an infant child at home and, and we got down to like being one of the last families two or three different times and then a birth mother selected somebody else who didn't have an inf another infant child at home. Anyway, all these things, right? My wife and I decide, look, hey, adoption's not working out. Let's become foster parents. Okay, let's do that. A week later, we get a call that we've been selected to be by a birth mother to raise her son. We decide, okay, change of plans. Let's adopt this little baby boy. Now, because that little baby boy is not white, uh, he would know that he is not biologically our child, but in an effort to hopefully indicate to him that it, that doesn't matter to us, we decide to name that little baby boy Eric Lewis Capitulic Jr., she has Eric Lewis Capitulic Jr. This is a year ago. During COVID, I, because of COVID policies, I, have, I drive to New York City. I pick up Eric Lewis Capitulic Jr. I drive him home. And our family is complete. A week later, she changed her mind and wanted her son back. And I had to take, go upstairs, my wife, my daughter, my son are bawling their eyes out, holding him. I have to take him from them, get back in my car, drive back to New York City. And my wife calls me along the way and says, hey, is it okay if Axel doesn't go to school tomorrow? And I go, hey, look, hon, whatever you want, it's okay. Just whatever. I drop, well, not Junior off, to, but, but I drop her son off to, to, to the social worker and I drive home. And on the way home, I call my wife back and I say, hey, look, if you haven't spoken to Axel yet about tomorrow, don't. Wait till I get home. She said, okay. So on the way home, I get home. I'd stopped off at McDonald's, his favorite restaurant in the world, and get him a treat. And I call him upstairs. He's in bed. I call him upstairs and say, give him McDonald's. And we sit down, the three of us. And I say, Axel, let me talk to you about winning and losing and success and failure because you learned an important lesson tonight. Winning is important. Don't let anybody ever tell you that winning is not important. It is. It is important. If it weren't, then when you pin somebody, you wouldn't feel any different than when somebody pins you. <laughs> to say winning isn't important, you're probably a loser. <laughs> winning is important. It's just not how we define success here in our family. Success, Axel, is giving your 100% every single day in your preparation, in everything that you do. Therefore, failure would be not giving 100%. Success is 100% every single day in your preparation and then in your execution. That's what success is. But actually, the important lesson you learned tonight is you can give your 100% and you may still lose. Yeah. And when you do so, it's going to hurt. It will hurt badly sometimes. And in fact, 
you know that you gave your 100% if it hurts really badly. <laughs> because you earn the right for it to hurt badly. Number one. Number two, when you lose and it hurts, like tonight, you may cry. Axel, daddy doesn't know a whole lot about IQ. I know a little something about toughness. Make sure you always understand that tough guys have emotions. Really tough guys can show their emotion at the appropriate time, Axel, so that it doesn't hurt the team. Yeah. But tough guys have emotions. Really tough guys can share those emotions. And really, really tough guys, Axel, can ask for help if they can't effectively deal with those emotions. Really, really tough guys. And know, Axel, that your mom and dad will be here your entire life to do so. But let me be very clear, Axel. Tomorrow morning, your mom and your dad are going to get up and go to work because that's what tough guys do. And you're going to school. That's how we define winning and losing. That's how we define success and failure. That's how we define being tough in the Capitulic family, Tyler.